Hey guys, uh, glad that you could uh, join into this audio. Uh, this is a sermon that I delivered on Sunday uh, to the church here in Sweet Home. And unfortunately, the uh, recording did not take place. Um, it is about the death penalty that we find in the book of Leviticus chapter 20. And this is the third lesson in that series. And it is entitled The S Word. And we will be dealing with Leviticus chapter 20 from verse 10 to 17. Um, it is interesting for me that as we read the text that God imposes the death penalty for certain sins, certain behaviors, as we see in this uh, text that we're going to deal with today. And I thought it might be interesting to look at those and to ask the question, which behavior was so serious or serious enough for God that he would impose the death penalty? On the Israelites and why? I mean, what could be so serious that God would say, listen, if you do this, then you deserve to die. Now, the book of Leviticus is about what God expects from those who he has saved from Egypt. God has taken the Israelites from Egypt, saved them <coughs> from the hand of the powerful Pharaoh. And then he brought them through the Red Sea and it, he brought them to Mount Sinai. And there he delivered his law to them. And in a sense, in simple words, this is how I see it. God is saying to the Israelites, listen here, I've saved you from Egypt, so you mustn't be like the Egyptians who worship other gods. And I'm going to take you to the promised land of Canaan. And I don't want you to be like those people there either in the way that they worship their gods. So I'm going to give you laws. If I'm going to, if I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people. You need to behave in certain ways. And so he delivers to them. They spend about one month at Mount Sinai, and in that time, he, he, he delivers to them the Levitical laws that we read about in the book of Leviticus. And chapter 20 is just sort of uh, a zoom in on, on specific um, crimes or sins that's related to the death penalty. Now, this is the third uh, lesson in this series. The first thing that we picked up from verses 1 to 5 is where God says to the Israelites, listen here. If you sacrifice your children in the fire to Molech, you must be killed. Uh, it was a horrible thing for God to imagine. Um, it's an actual fact. One of the things in the Old Testament where God says, you know, my, my mind cannot even imagine that somebody would do this. That you would offer your child, burn your child to death in the fire to Molech to please a God that is no God at all. Uh, God says that deserves the death penalty. And that tells, that teaches us that God has a high view of children and that we have to be very careful how we treat children. The second um, penalty for death, uh, the penalty of death, is a child that curses their parent. And you can go read that in the book of Leviticus as well. And what's interesting for me there is that God says if a, if, if a child curses their parents or his or her parents, that child deserves to die, must be put to death. That is crazy, isn't it? But it's interesting for me how you read the very first two reasons why the death penalty is to be imposed among the Israelites is because God valued the relationship between parents and children. The way that parents treat children is important to God. The way that children treat parents, that is also very important to God to the extent that he would impose the death penalty. And I think specifically in, in our time, um, it is extremely important for us to take note of that because there is a breakdown between the relationship, um, the relationships between parents and children and children and parents uh, in our world for today. So the third um, sort of grouping um, of sins or um, behaviors that God 
and does require the death penalty for is related to sex and sexuality hence why i've entitled this lesson the s word so just a notice to you uh this uh this lesson might need some parental guidance often the word sex is not a word that we talk about in church but uh the the church on sunday heard that word numerous times i don't think it's a word that we need to shy away from i don't think it's something that we need to be shy about it is something that god created um, certainly Adam and Eve had no shame about it until sin entered the world and caused it to be something shameful. And that's why um, that's why Adam and Eve clothed themselves and tried to cover themselves up. In any case, let me just make a few observations as we dive into this topic. First of all, let me just note that Christianity is criticized for its views on sex. Um, I like to listen to the great debates between atheists and theists. Um, and two of the gentlemen that often come across my radar that um, often um, debate theists who's bold enough to do that. Uh, one of the guys is Christopher Hitchens. Really nice guy to listen to. Very entertaining guy. Uh, he was a journalist. I think he died in 2011 at the age of 62. Until the day that he died, he denied the existence of God and he was willing to face death with that belief system. He wrote a book entitled God is Not Great. And it's interesting for me that often in debates, he would uh, make a joke and, and people would often laugh at this. He would say that um, the Christian God gets upset with, um, with, with how you have sex, when, where, and in what position you do it. And that used to get the crowds all laughing up because the key thing that he criticized God for or Christianity for is its views on sex. Richard Dawkins, the great... Um, uh, scientist who uh, goes out of his way to fight against uh, any form of religion. I've heard him say a few times as well that he finds it astonishing that this great God, apparently, this apparent God who created the universe, the planets, this massive cosmos, is so is, is so confined in his thinking to be um, obsessed with what people do with their genitalia. He cannot understand why this God is so petty? Why is why would he be concerned with what you do with your genitalia when there's a massive universe out there? And so in his mind, sexual restrictions are petty. Um, well, I'm, I'm just pointing these out to sort of to sort of show that from the perspective of the world, the world sees sexuality as a petty thing and finds it intriguing that christianity takes it so serious what you do with your genitalia but you will see today that god is pretty strict about sexual sin and so in a sense that they are correct but you will also see today why it is definitely not a petty issue so the world the people outside of christianity has criticized christianity for its views on sex but Christianity itself has also had a critical view of sex itself. I think for most of Christianity, uh, sexuality has been misunderstood, has been dealt with badly. Uh, Christianity, without knowing it, has placed a false scene in the minds of people that makes people believe that sex is bad. That sex is bad. I mean, we don't talk about it in church. We don't talk about it to one another. We don't open to one another up about it. Although, uh, as I read this week, um, that men think about sex 19 times a day, 
women 10 times based on research. You know how, how accurate that is? I don't know. And you know that people would often say, well, men think about it the whole day. But I mean, it's just intriguing for me that this is that sexuality is something that permeates our lives on every corner. And yet we never talk about it in the church. You have uh, men camps, man camps, you have uh, church camps, but you will never see the topic of discussion is about sexuality. It is the thing that destroys families. It is the thing that destroys um, marriages. It is the thing that uh, leads to the greatest spread of disease in our world. I mean, I can go on and on about the psychological impact of it. I can go on and on about the impact that molestation has had on people's lives, how it creates um, psychological dysfunction. It is one of the biggest topics in our minds, in our lives. But in the church, we don't want to talk about it. And I find that, quite frankly, to be ridiculous. So Christianity has ended up being great for people, except it hasn't really helped people to enjoy a healthy sex life. And if sex is something that God created, then surely God has something to say about it. And it should be something that we should be capable of discussing with each other and, and um, gaining God's advice on. So because of the mishandling of sex, I believe, uh, in Christianity, it is just as big a problem in the church as it is in the world. Uh, you've heard People say this before, that the divorce rates in the church are not that much higher um, than the divorce rates out there or, or lower than the divorce rates out there in the world. Pornography is just as big of a problem in the church than outside the church. I read some research this week that suggests 68% of um, church-going men regularly watch pornography and 50% of ministers in the church watch pornography regularly. Um, it, we grow up being taught that we must simply not do this or do that. We, it's like we have to hush that sexuality is taboo. Um, and we are hardly ever taught why and what the nature of sex is. And, and hopefully in this lesson, I'll attempt to do that. So I'll be unpacking some things from the text today with the intention of helping us understand why our sexuality is important to God. Important enough to impose the death penalty. The New Testament does raise the bar uh, when it comes to sexual sin. You know, you would hear people say, well, all, all sin is the same. Well, unfortunately, um, all sin is, yes, it uh, causes separation from God. And, and all sin is disobedience to God. All sin is missing the mark. But sexual sin is placed on another level. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 in the New Living Translation says, No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So, yes, the New Testament does raise the bar for sexual sin. And it's because, as you will see, the consequences of deviant sex is, is, is horrible. So, we have a very important topic today. But smile as we deal with it in a, in a healthy way. So, I'm going to read. For you, Leviticus chapter 20, and it might sound very harsh, and I want you to, to listen carefully as I read this, and imagine this being read in, um, in public spaces today, and it will show you, if, if this makes you cringe when, when I read this, it shows you how far society has deviated from um, the, the, the God that took the Israelites out of Egypt. So Leviticus 20 from verse 10. If a man commits 
adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. If a man has sexual relations with his father's wife, he has dishonored his father, both the man and the woman are to be put to death, their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with his daughter-in-law, both of them are to be put to death. What they have done is a perversion, their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries both a woman and her mother, it is wicked. Both he and they must be burned in the fire, so that no wickedness will be among you. If a man has sexual relations with an animal, he is to be put to death, and you must kill the animal. If a woman approaches an animal to have sexual relations with it, kill both the woman and the animal. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries his sister, the daughter of either his father or his mother, and they have sexual relations, it is a disgrace. They are to be publicly removed from their people. He has dishonored his sister and will be held responsible. Now, what I've done is I've tried to group the sexual sins listed here into five groups. And if you listen carefully, you'll pick up that the penalty for each one of these is the death penalty. But in each sin, the text seems to give us a reason why the penalty is so severe. So let's look at them again individually. First of all, the text from verse 10 to 12 talks about adultery. And he gives the reason, the text gives the reason. The word adultery means to break wedlock. Why does God take adultery so serious? Because you are breaking a commitment. When you, when you marry someone, you are claiming that person as your exclusive sexual partner. God has a dim view of people who break their commitments and promises and vows. And this is perhaps the deepest form of betrayal and breach of contract. Verse 10 says that if you, if you um, have intercourse with your, your dad's uh, wife, that is probably not referring to your biological mother, but to another woman that he has married, um, then you've uncovered her nakedness. And when you uncover her nakedness, you uncover your father's nakedness. And that is perhaps the worst way to treat your father. The worst way to insult your father and curse him to his face is to sleep with his wife. And we already know that cursing your father is deserving of the death penalty. So God has a dim view of people who insult their fathers. Verse 12 talks, uses a Greek word that, that says it's techbel, which means that they have wrought confusion. And that word can mean two things. Confusion, you are violate, violating the nature of or divine order, order of things. Or it could mean perversion in sexual sin. What does that mean? Well, it's unnatural to perform that type of sexuality. God has a dim view of people who pervert sex and violates the natural order of sexual relationships. God never intended for a man to have sexual intercourse with his, um, with his father's wife. Also, it was never God's intention for a man to have sexual intercourse with his son's wife. It violates the natural order of things. It, it, wrought, it brings confusion. That's what God says and therefore it is deserving of the death penalty. So the first sin is adultery. The second sin is homosexuality. And I know this might be sensitive for some people. But the text says clearly that it is an abomination for God. Now take note. It's not the person committing the sin 
that is considered an abomination. It is what they do that is considered an abomination to God. Now that word that is used there literally means it is a disgusting thing to do. It is unclean and ethically problematic. God has a dim view of people who violate their bodies in unnatural ways for the sake of fleshly pleasure. The third type of sin in this text is familial polygamy. And the text says that it is extreme wickedness. It's extreme wickedness. Um, the word could mean evil plan for a mischievous purpose or for incest. God has a dim view of people who seek out extreme measures of sexual deviance for the sake of exploitative pleasure. The fourth sin is bestiality. You might say, and that is having sex with an animal. Uh, we might say, well, that is very far-fetched from our uh, lived reality. It is not. There are many countries in this world where uh, this is practiced. Um, in actual fact, I read up this week that in Hawaii, New Mexico, West Virginia, and Wyoming, bestiality is actually legal. Now, they are fighting against it, and you'll find this interesting. They are fighting against um, bestiality. They want to make it illegal. And here's why. Um, to protect animals. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Um, the text says that bestiality is techbel. It is a violation of nature and divine order. God never intended for man to sleep with beast. He created man for women and woman for man. God is a dim view of people who become so sexually perverse that they would explore sex with an animal. And lastly, we have incest. Verse 17 says, it is a shameful abomination. It is a wicked thing to view your biological family as sexual partners. God has a dim view of people who share parents and then share the same bed. It is clear when I read these texts, I'm sure that it's clear to you where God stands on these things. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter where we stand. It matters where God stands on these things. And these types of sexual sins, God has a very dim view on. And there's much to say about this. But let me start with a question that came to my mind as I uh, dealt with this. How do people end up in these sexual practices? How do We have been designed male for female, human to human. How do we end up finding animals for, for, for sexual satisfaction? How does the switch come? Adam sees Eve, right? How do we get Adam to look at Eve and then say, I don't find you attractive anymore. I prefer a donkey. What must go on in your mind to switch sexual partners? What happen What makes Adam and Eve switch to Adam and Steve? How do you? And for a heterosexual person, this is an extremely hard thing to deal with. It's like, how? I mean, the mind cannot even begin to understand it. First, I think we need to understand that it is a choice, that it is a choice. Now, there's many things that play into that, but it's a choice. First Peter 4 verse 3 to 5 says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. It's a choice. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, here's something interesting that stands out. Those who practice these types of sins, 
they find it strange that you're not doing the same things as they do. And we find it strange that they are doing those things because we are totally in a different world. Still, the question is, how do you end up? How do you end up in those pagan practices? And let's be clear. These are pagan practices. Okay. And this is what God warned them about. Stay away from it. I want you to read with me. Romans chapter 1. And then we'll read Ephesians. And there's a few things I want you to pick up as I, as I read this. And I'll, I'll try to illuminate those. Romans 1, 21 to 28. For though they knew God, they, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. Where does it start? With your thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with the women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. I mean, there's so much to say here, but do you get that? The depraved mind thinks it's normal, right? And that's why we can't understand it. We, we can't comprehend how people make that switch. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So it's interesting for me that when we read Luke 20, 27, Jesus says that if we want to honor God, we need to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And when you read these texts, you will see that when you do the opposite, when you Honor that which is not God with your heart, your mind, and your strength, your body. You end up with a lost soul. The text, both texts that I dealt with said it starts with the mind. Because the question is this, right? How do you end up in this sexual perversion? It starts with your mind. The text talks about the futility of thinking. Walk this with me. The moment a person believes there is no God... Or you make up your own God. If, if you're going to make up your own God, you're going to make up a God that pleases the flesh, right? That's why in the pagan world, you will see that um, pagan gods, uh, you know, the pag pa paganism was always surrounded by prostitution. And there was always sexual stuff related to it. Because if you make up your own religion, there's going to be obviously sex involved because you are running after your flesh. Okay. When you, the moment that you believe there is no God or you make up your own God, 
then you open the door for futile thinking. The, the moment you believe atheism, the moment that you believe that there is no God, then think about critically, think about what happens. Let me just put my phone on silent there. Then you have to accept that we are just animals, that we are a product of evolution. The moment that you accept that we are just animals, then you can just behave like animals. Get what I'm saying? Then marriage doesn't exist. Marriage does not exist in the animal kingdom. You can sleep around like you want to in the animal kingdom. Male and female male is not a thing. The moment that you say God does not exist, marriage doesn't exist, gender doesn't exist, sex doesn't exist, then rape and murder, it doesn't matter. You can just go ahead and do what you want. And that is exactly what is happening in our schools. We have taken God, we've thrown God out of the schools, and our children are being taught, our children are being taught a worldview where God does not exist. We are called a species, we are called homo sapiens, and therefore, what do you think is the logical conclusion of that? That is exactly why there's such a big move towards LGBTQ, why the moral fiber, why morality is breaking down, why sexual promiscuity is increasing. So, so don't be shocked by what teenagers do in our community. The teachers are educating them to believe there is no God. Now, the teachers might not say that straight out. But the material is teaching them that. Where does it start? In the mind. It's in the educative processes of a child's life that is being educated to believe there is no God. And that opens up to futile thinking. That opens up to the idea that um, male-male love and female-female sex is exactly the same thing as heterosexuality. They're losing their minds, in other words. But it starts with the mind, and then it says it moves to the heart. Then the heart gets darkened. The Greek says their hearts become obscured. When your thinking starts wobbling, your desires will soon follow. The moment your mind opens up to new possibilities of pleasure, you start exploring different lusts, and suddenly your heart wants it. And suddenly you are claiming that it is love. But meanwhile, it's lust. And then it says, the text says, and then they, they started degrading their bodies with one another. When you use your body in unnatural ways for sexual pleasure, you are degrading your bodies. That's, that's not what God intended your body for. When your thinking and heart submits to the lusts, the logical next step is to please the senses. When your heart and mind is submitted to the darkness, it wants to please the senses, the flesh, and that is all at once. And like drugs, you want more and more and more and more. And so normal sex with one person is not enough. You want to have it with two, two people. And so sex with your wife is not enough. You want to have it sex with the, with the neighbor's wife. And having sex with a female is not enough anymore. You want to explore having sex with a male. And then that's not enough. You want to explore having sex with an animal. There are no regulations. There are no rules. There is no God. And before you know it, your soul is lost. Now, when I speak about these things, and if you're a Christian, none of this makes sense to you. It, it's like you can't even imagine it. But you know why? It's because we have not been caught up in the darkness. We have not been caught up in the lust. Because our minds submit to God. We are not walking in the darkness, and therefore we do not understand it. Still, the big question is, so what? Why talk about this? How is this relevant to any of us? As far as I know, um, you don't have a crush on your animal at home and hopefully not one of you has a sexual relationship with their parent. So what can we take from this? First of all, I think that we need to respect the nature of sex. 
We need to respect the nature of sex. Its drive is so powerful that it can provide unbelievable blessings, but also unbelievable destruction. That is what sex is. It's this powerful tool that God has given us. That's got an incredible ability to bless us. But it also, because it's so powerful, it has this unbelievable power to be destructive. And that's a risk that God took. He wanted to give it to us as this incredible blessing. But he knew if he, if he, if he instills power in it, it has the ability to be abused. Sex is a deep gift given to a man and a woman in marriage as an intimate gluing mechanism. Yes, it is a source of pleasure given to us by God. The senses, the, the, um, the nerve endings involved in the sexual process, those were planted in our bodies by God. We never have to be ashamed of that. It's been given to us by God to create intimate connection. And at the center of it, we have the bond of, of a loving, emotional, intimate relationship between a man and a woman. And at the same time, DNA is mixing, integrating with each other to create offspring. It is in the most physically intense moment that we can experience with our bodies, that God has chosen as the starting point of a new life. It is incredible. It's incredibly deep. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly, incredibly godlike. It is the epitome of physical and emotional experience of the human body. And because it is so powerful, God has put some rules in place so we can experience its blessing to the fullest and avoid its destruction. Let me use an illustration. It's like sex is like God giving you a Ferrari. It's like God says, yeah, I give you this Ferrari. It's yours to fully enjoy. It's a gift from God. To experience its power fully, if you want the most of it, you will need to, to be an adult. You'll need to have a driving license and you'll have to be on the autobahn. You'll have to be on the highway where there's no speed limit. And if you, if, if, if you don't use the Ferrari in those conditions, it's going to end up causing you more problems than pleasure. Now, you will be tempted to take it for a spin before you have a license. Um, but the risk is there of getting, getting arrested and being separated from your vehicle. Um, you could take it on a different road, not the autobahn, but you'll only be robbing yourself because you will not be allowed to take it at full speed. And the potential is there that you could um, that you could get into an accident and wreck this gift that God has given you. Also, if you're not going to go in the autobahn and experience it in its fullest speed, you're going to rob yourself. You're going to have a substandard experience, and it's always going to be substandard. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I I think you know where I'm going with this. Sexuality outside of the intentions of God is going to give you a substandard sexual experience. It's going to cause a wreck of this gift in your life. When sexuality is experienced earlier or in different ways than God intended, it will always be a substandard compared to the experience that God intended for us to have. Um, now, here is my big concern that should be all of our concern. God has built in a at least a twofold system into the human life to prevent the abuse of this powerful tool that ends up potentially harming us. First of all, there's puberty. Puberty is God's mechanism in the body that prepares you for sex and prevents early sex. 
If you are exposed to it before your body is ready, it has the potential to destroy your life. Our children in this country are being exposed to sexual conversations and content, and they're not ready for it. No wonder suicide, ri- su- suicide rates are rising, depression is rising, promiscuity and sexual confusion is on the rise. Our children are not ready for it. You can't give a Ferrari to a kid at this age. No wonder suicide rates are where it is. We need to protect the children in our care and we need to fight against any agendas that expose children to any form of deviant sexualizing. We have seen the process. Sexual deviance starts with false education. That is the key reason why my, my child will not go to a public school. I will prevent, I will keep my child, I will keep my child from any of this type of sexualizing before they are ready for it. I saw a video yesterday from the LGBT community where they sing a song and they deliberately say, We are coming for your children, we are coming for your children, we are coming for your children. You are right to be scared because we are coming for your children. And this is the voice they use. We are going to make your children tolerant and kind. And that sounds in a sense like a good idea. But what they are saying is, in a nice way, they are saying, we are going to make your children believe that it is normal for a male and a male to have sex and for a female and a female to have sex. They must learn to tolerate it and to be open towards it. In a nice way, they are trying to say that. So the first thing is puberty. Puberty protects children and the world is forcing sexuality early on children and then the second thing is parents we have to educate our kids correctly god put children uh in in a space where they have parents so parents can guide them and this is a grave responsibility we have sigmund freud the great psychologist i want to use one of the the ways that he explained this to 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 bring it across to us he says in the personality there's three aspects of the personality the id the ego and the superego You are born into this world and then your ego has to develop. The ego is that part of you that that judges, that um, regulates your um, decisions, your emotions, etc. The id, he says, is what you are born with. The id is sort of the animal in you. The animal that will just do whatever it wants to do. And the superego is the laws and the rules imposed by parents. It's when parents come and say, no, don't touch that, don't do that. And the more parents are involved, the more... Um, the kid is regulated. So on the one hand, you have the animal, and on the other hand, you have the rules of society or the rules that comes from your parents. And a child that successfully makes it through life and makes good decisions is the child that has a very well-developed ego. It is a child that has learned, that have been parented well to the extent where the, the parents have, have, have laid down rules and guidance to let the child develop a healthy, a healthy way of looking at life now unfortunately we do get two types of parents we get parents that let the id just run around freely they put no regulation down on their kids they don't they don't put uh, they don't help their kids to develop a healthy uh, ego they just go around and let their kids do what they want to do they don't watch um, what they watch on tv they don't watch who their friends are and so that child develops a very strong id and ends up um, sleeping around in an early age, exploring different types of sex with different types of genders. But then you, on the other side, you have parents who impose a super ego, who um, constantly makes rules. You're not allowed to watch any TV, any programs, have any friends. Um, and literally that child grows up like being a, a nun or a monk 
and it's no um, exploration in the world. And I, I think you know that the best way to deal with it is to, to develop your child in a healthy way. Our children cannot be separated from the world because they live in the world. And so we got to find a way to let them live in the world, but not be of the world. And that's the responsibility of, of parents. Um, so that's the first thing. We have to respect the nature of sex. The second thing is this. We have to reject the lies about sex. I said it earlier, nobody would naturally just fall into these types of sexual sins. Children are groomed from a young age through education to explore and accept deviant sexuality. But it is being promoted in a very sly manner that makes it sound innocent and makes the view of the Bible seem uncaring and unloving. And this is the view. Love conquers God's rules about sex. That seems to be the view out there in the world. God, people would say God is love after all. God has no problem with any sexual sin as long as it is, it, it, it is about love. If two men deeply love each other, why can they not have sex with each other? How will a God who loves us reject such a loving relationship? Um, and I could go on to say, well, if I fall in love with my neighbor's um, wife and she loves me, why can't we just break up and break up the, that marriage and and together with the trauma that brings to the children, if love is all that it requires. Well, what do we say to this? Well, the Bible is pretty clear. Deviant sex is a result of futile thinking, a darkened heart and lust after flesh, not love. I'll repeat that. According to the Bible, deviant sex is a result of futile thinking, a darkened heart and lust after flesh, not love. And we have to be careful to fall into the trap. We should not confuse lust with love. I mention this because Christianity more and more is accepting sexual sins in an increasing manner. People will say two men who love each other deeply can do what they want. But in the same breath, they would say if the one cheats on the other, it's wrong. Well, how can it be wrong if you love, the, love another person? How does that work? If you read Leviticus chapter 20, God condemns it all. Oh, we can't pick and choose what, what we accept from God and what we reject from God. All the sexual sins listed in Leviticus 20 that I shared with you share the same penalty in the sight of God. Homosexuality, adultery, incest, polygamy, all of those sins shared the same penalty. And there's no such thing in the text there about, oh, but if you love this person, then it doesn't matter. It's the actual sex, the deed, that is the problem. Now, a statement came to my mind that I want to share with you as I close off. Because it seems quite harsh that God would impose the death penalty. But this is how I conclude it. The perversion and pain that these sexual sins cause far outweighs the pain felt by the penalty of death. I'll repeat that. The perversion and pain that these sexual sins cause far outweighs the pain felt by the penalty of death. Imagine we could talk to God now and say, Lord, you know what? I think that you're being unreasonable. Just relax on these rules. Let us just go ahead and do whatever we feel like. Just leave us alone. We will show you the world will be a better place if we are more tolerant and kind on these sins. Just allow us to have sex with our family members, allow us to have sex with animals like we want to, allow us to have same sex. 
Um, and you know what? Allow us to to cheat on our partners and not make much of the um, the marriage commitment. We will show you that the world will be a better place. Uh, I challenge you to go do that exercise in your mind. But to help you, I mean, imagine we just allow adultery to go along. What do you think is going to happen? Before long, one man will kill another. Believe you me, one man will kill another. Children will grow up in broken homes without both their biological parents. Suicide rates will rise. Because have you ever felt what it feels like when your life partner cheats on you? How could that be good for anything in this world? What about homosexuality? Well, there's, there's quite a few problems with that. Well, pseudo-relationships will develop because men and women have been designed to complement each other. And when you have two men together, you've got two brain structures that haven't been designed for each other. That's why many homosexual couples are unhappy. They don't understand why, but it just doesn't work because they haven't been designed to operate together in unity between male and female. And that is why often there's more psychological problems, there's more depression, there's more suicide rates among homosexual uh, couples because it's just unnatural. They will not be able to produce children um, and therefore they will lack the, the connection that is available through, um, through normal heterosexual relationships. We know that STDs spread uh, much at much higher rates through homosexual couples because it is a physical sexual activity, um, and I don't want to go into details about this, that unfortunately has a high susceptibility of spreading disease. Um, you know, and I can go on and on and on. So there's, there's, there's biological problems with it, there's psychological problems with it, there's emotional problems with it. It is just not good for society. What about polygamy? Well, do I have to expel it out? How father and son end up killing and hating each other? Um, bestiality. Um, never mind animal abuse. What about the mental insanity? Because you can't have a relationship with an animal. And we all want relationships with people. Um, there's additional moral deviance as supported by the statistics. If you go look at the statistics of the people who engaged with animal uh, sex, you would see that they've got uh, those people have got serious other sexual deviant behaviors. So it's not just about animals. And also, animals do spread diseases that don't spread among humans. And when you have sex with an animal, you're going to pick up those diseases. I read an, an article, unfortunately, of a man in Washington, the Washington state, that died after having sex with, with a horse. You see, that's the type of stuff that it leads you to. You can go read about that if you if you ever wanted to read about that. I don't see how that is good for society at all. What about incest? Well, let's wait and see how the children turn out a few generations down the line and how they will suffer with physical defects. If we just say, hey, let, let's just run with incest. Ladies and gentlemen, sexuality is something that God designed for a specific purpose, for an extreme extremely holy uh, experience and an extremely powerful purpose. And if it's, it is something that we don't bridle and it's something that we don't keep check on, it will lead to the ultimate destruction of our societies. Ladies and gentlemen, God loves us and he wants what is good for us. There's much to say, but I leave you with that for today. May God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Cheers.